Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 176. Today is a special day as we will be concluding the Old Testament today with the book of Malachi. And so I have invited a special guest, my wife here, to join us for this final Old Testament episode. Uh, before we get started, let's get into a little bit of what the book of Malachi is about. First of all, not that much is known about the prophet Malachi. What we can guess or, or surmise is that he prophesied somewhere around 430 B.C. Now, if we recall, this is after the Judeans had returned from their Babylonian exile. They've been back in Jerusalem for a while. The temple has been rebuilt. As we recall, Haggai uh, had uh, encouraged them to finish uh, the rebuild of the temple. And so that took place uh, back in uh, around 516 uh, B.C., somewhere around there. So we're about... 80 years from there. And now the people have kind of slid back into complacency at this time. And so Malachi is coming forth with a, uh, with a word of the Lord with regard to encouraging them and commanding them to get back on target with regard to their obedience to the Lord. As we know in life, whenever something, uh, whenever we're around something for a period of time, we can take it for granted. We can start to backslide and, and that sort of thing. And that's exactly what the people were doing. And so, without further ado, let's get into this word. And uh, chapter 1, it says, The Lord's love for Israel. It says a pronouncement, a word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have you loved us? So the Lord is telling his people through Malachi that I have loved you. And they're saying, well, how have you loved us? It says, yet you ask, how have you loved us? And uh, the Lord says, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob. And so the Lord is saying, look, there were two brothers, you know, Edom and, 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 and Jacob. And Esau, or I should say Esau and Jacob, and uh, the country Edom came from Esau and Israel came from Jacob. And the Lord is going to go on to say in verse three, but I hated Esau. Now, the word isn't real specific, in my opinion, on why the Lord hated Esau. But he said, I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. And so he turned Edom. Again, Edom is uh, the people of Edom, the Edomites, are descendants of Esau. And the Lord kind of wiped them out uh, because they didn't assist Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And he says he turned their mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the jackals. So the Lord is saying, this is how I loved you because I didn't do that to you. Remember, they were brothers, but I chose one side. I chose you. Then it says disobedience of the priests. Now, I find this section to be extremely interesting with a lot of present day implications. It says a son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? So the Lord is querying his people through Malachi. You know, this is the way you know how to behave in the natural. But you're not treating me this way. It says, and if I am a master, where is your fear of me? He said, if I am a father, where's my honor? If I am a master, where's my fear? You're doing neither one. You're not afraid of me and you don't honor me. Uh, it uh, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. So the Lord is accusing them of despising him. It says, yet you ask, how have we despised your name? In verse seven, the Lord says, by presenting defiled food on my altar. Now we're going to get really interesting here. It says in verse eight, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? 
And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? In other words, if you brought a subpar sacrifice to your governor, you know, to your leader, would he be pleased with that? Would he not throw you in jail? Would he not somehow discipline you if you brought something other than your best? And so would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. And so he's asking his people through Malachi, you bring me subpar sacrifices. Says in verse 10, he says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. In other words, he's saying it's better for you not to even come to the temple than for you to bring something subpar to me. He says, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Now, let's put that in present day parlance. If the Lord is essentially saying, look, if you're going to come to church, if you're going to go to church and you're just going for show, you're not bringing me your best. You're not worshiping your best in worship time. You're not paying attention during the messages. You're, you're texting. You're doing other things. You're just like not into me at all. The Lord is saying it's better that you don't even come because I detest that. See, that's not a sacrifice worthy of me. What do you think about that? <laughs> that's true. Like sometimes you just get into the habit of going and not actually um, what realizing the reason why you're there. So you're just like showing up because you're supposed to. So you can check that off your list this week. Right. You're not fully engaged. See, the Lord says, when you come before my altar, when you come in my presence, I want you to be totally and completely engaged with me, with who I am, with what I have to tell you on that day at that particular time. How am I going to tell you something? How am I going to direct you and you're not paying me any attention? How am I going to do that? So we go on. It says in verse 13, you bring stolen, lame or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asked the Lord? Again, let's come to present day. He says, you, you know, you're bringing yourself in here with your mind elsewhere. You're not bringing me your best. You're not coming before somebody in reverence and awe. He says, you're bringing me lame stuff. And he's asking, am I to accept that from you? Should I accept subpar? Should, should I accept less than your best from you? That's what the Lord is asking. And then he says in verse 14, the deceiver is cursed who is an acceptable male, uh, who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. So the Lord is saying, look, it's not that you don't have perfect animals. You do have perfect animals to bring to me. You're just choosing not to bring them to me. You're choosing to bring the sick ones to me. You're not choosing to bring the best to me. And so we move it to present day. The Lord is saying, look, the best is in you. You're just choosing not to bring it to me. But it's in you. It's not that it's not there. It's just you're making a choice when you come before me not to bring your best. What you got to say about that? I mean, it even says that you make a vow. So it's like you do it on purpose. Like It's intentional. Right. It's like, so this, this was the wickedness of their heart. Now, that, that's, a, that's a great distinction, honey, because it says um, that he makes a vow but sacrifices defective animals to the Lord. And he says, so they were doing this knowingly. 
because they were what, what what was happening at this time is nobody was afraid of the Lord, so they didn't think He was going to do anything. So I can bring whatever I want to bring; it doesn't matter as long as I bring something, just just to show other people that I'm down with the cause. But <laughs> see, the Lord has a long memory, and so He's recognizing these things. He says, "For I am a great King," says the Lord of Army, "and my name will be feared among the nations." He's saying, "Look, you may not be in reverence of me now, but there's going to come a day where you're going to wish." that you had this time back so you could change your behavior. Chapter 2, it says, warning to the priests. Now, don't just look at this as a warning to a priest, a pastor, bishop, whatever you want to call them today. This is also a warning to the people. In verse 2, it says, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. So the Lord is saying, look, if you're not going to take the time to listen to me and, and, and abide by what I'm trying to tell you to do, see, he's, gonna, he's saying, I'm going to send a curse among you. Okay. But he even says he's going to curse your blessings. In other words, what you think is a blessing to the Lord, the church, or whatever, he's saying he's going to curse that because you brought it with wrong attitude, wrong motives, wrong whatever. What say you? <laughs> I was just thinking about things that you treasure even that you consider a blessing. If you're doing this kind of thing to the Lord, I mean, it's going to be cursed. So anything you do is just going to roll off as bad. It's useless. You might as well keep it, you know, because if he's going to curse what you think is a blessing because of the motivations and the attitude by which you give it, you might as well just keep it. It says, in fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. <laughs> Verse three, he says, look, I am, uh, I am going to rebuke your descendants. I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices. And so what the Lord is saying, those animals, those lame and sick animals that you bring the sacrifice to me on my altar, I'm going to take their waste and spread it all over your face. Is that graphic enough? <laughs> then he says in verse four, then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. Now, remember, the tribe of Levi, th those are the priests of the Lord. And so what the Lord is doing is he's protecting his tribe by identifying the bad priests and telling them what he's going to do to them because he wants his, um, his covenant with his real priests uh, uh, the tribe of Levi to be sacred. So he says, I got to get rid of the bad apples. I got to get them out of here. And it says in verse six, true instruction was in his mouth. He's talking about the Levite, the, 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 the Levitical priest. He's saying true instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. Now here's, this is for the lip, for the, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. Whatever comes out of a, a spiritual leader's mouth should preserve the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. They shouldn't be saying things that are coming from themselves. They shouldn't be preaching things that are coming from themselves. Everything that they should be trying to impart into people should be coming directly from the Lord. And that is the only way that his knowledge can be guarded is if they don't filter it, they don't change it, they don't alter it, they don't massage it, they don't schmooze it, they don't do anything like that. 
And it says, and people should desire instruction from his mouth. And so when a pure word is coming from a mouth, a human mouth, then it should be attractive to people because people should want that unfiltered word, even if it's a harsh word. I should say, especially if it's a harsh word, they should want it in its purest form. It says, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. And so that priest, pastor, bishop, you know, father, whatever you want to call them, they're messengers of the uh, messengers from the Lord. And they should be delivering a pure word that God that guards the knowledge of the Lord and nothing else would save you. (laughs) Well, you said it's not just about priests and pastors either. So the same should apply to us when. People should want to hear what we have to say. It should be. It should be pure. Yep. Then it says in verse 8, you, on the other hand, have turned from the way. These are the wicked priests. You've turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways. But you are showing partiality in your instruction. And so you are favoring some instruction over the other. You are taking instruction out of context. You're making instruction sound like something it's not intended to say. You're doing things for your own reason and your own motivation. You're manipulating the word. And that's why I think it's so important. It's one of the reasons why I started doing this word encounter, because I got tired of people just listening to what other people said about the word and not having enough word in them to understand whether or not these other people were being pure in what they were saying. The only way you can know that is if you have word in you. That's the only way you can know it. Next section says Judah's marital unfaithfulness. It says, uh, now, now, this first part isn't in reference to the, unmar- to the marital faith, uh, faithfulness. The next part is, but I thought this was important. It says, don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? And so this is the Lord saying, look, all of us, all of my children, all of, all of my Israelites, you know, and this is Malachi telling the Judeans, uh, all of us, we have one father. He says, why do you treat each other the way you treat each other? You know, you're profaning the covenant of your ancestors when you treat each other this way, you see. And so we have to be mindful with regard to how we treat other people in the body of Christ because we profane the covenant when we don't treat each other correctly. And I know that familiarity can can breed contempt. And so what happens is a lot of times we get close to people or we know people a lot that we go to church with. So we see all of their flaws and, and this, that, and the other, and we start treating them differently. But, but the Lord doesn't like that. He said, these are my children. You're brothers and sisters. You're siblings. Now, sometimes our natural sibling relationships aren't too hot either. Verse 13, he says, this is another thing you do. He says, you are covering the Lord's altars with tears. Now, this is talking about the marital unfaithfulness. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And so the Lord doesn't like to take what you have to offer. Why? In verse 14, it says, and you ask why? (laughs) Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and a wife and your wife by covenant. 
Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? Again, this is the Lord talking to the Judeans through Malachi. And he says, what is the one what is the one seeking? So the Lord is asking, the Lord is saying, okay, God made them one. He gave, he gave the two a portion of one spirit, okay? And he says, and what is the one seeking? In other words, and what should the one be seeking? And the, his answer is godly offspring. See, godly offspring is what the purpose of marriage is from God's perspective. From his perspective, because he, he wants what? To go forth and fill the earth with godly offspring. It says, so watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice. Wow. I know you got something to say about that. Do I? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's it's perfectly clear and plain. I don't think I have anything to add. And so you are a criminal if you don't treat your, the wife of your uh, youth correctly. And I'm, I'm going to say the spouse, uh, the spouse of your youth. It's a two-way street, right? And you are being, you are being a spiritual criminal. The next section says, judgment at the Lord's coming. You have worried the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we worried him? When you ask, uh, when you ask, <laughs> Everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them, or else where is the God of justice? And so the people are saying, look, from our observation, from what we see, everyone who does what is evil is good in God's sight because he doesn't do anything to them. So they must be good in his sight. He must be down with what what the evil and wicked folks are doing because we don't see anything that happens to them. And the Lord is saying, you worried me with this line of thinking. <laughs> I'm tired of this. Got something to say about that? <laughs> um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I won't. <laughs> Let's go on to chapter 3. Chapter 3 says, robbing God. Now, this is, this is, these scriptures, set of scriptures are things that everybody is interested in or will be or should be interested in. It says in verse 7, Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? So people are saying, look, you say we've gone away from you, and so if we wanted to return, how can we return? And he says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? And so the people, the God says, uh, will a man or should a man rob God? And then you say, how have we done? We haven't robbed you. How, what have we done? And God says, by not making the payments of the tenth, by not paying your tithes and offerings or in the contributions. It says in verse nine, it says, you are suffering under a curse. So the Lord is saying, if you don't pay your tithes and offerings, you are going to suffer under a curse. It says that you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. It says in verse 10, bring the full tenth, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then this is interesting. This is the only place in Scripture that I think this, this appears. The Lord says, test me in this, in this way. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. 
So the Lord invites you to test him in paying your tithes and offering offerings and see if not and see if the, uh, his um, storehouse in heaven does not open up such that the floodgates let all of this, this blessing pour out on you. The Lord says, test him. He says in verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the, the excuse me, I will rebuke the, the, the devourer. Why can't I say that? I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. He says, not only will the floodgates come, he says, I will eliminate all the obstacles in your way. I will uh, rebuke the devourer. I will eliminate the devourer so that it will not ruin your crops. It will not ruin your efforts so that your efforts will be fruitful. And then he says this, he says, then all the nations will consider you fortunate. And so the way I take this is that the Lord wants this to play out in public so that people can see that when you are devoted to the Lord, when you are devoted to his ways, to his integrity, to his justice, how you get blessed so that it will impact those in your spheres of influence. What you got to say? I, that's a good teaching because a lot of people, I don't know, don't understand that fully that he's he's for you like pay your tithe and test him he told you to test him I said test me and believe me i've been tested i have paid my tithes um i'd say 95 percent consistently there were a few times over a few years where i got scared because i thought our resources were limited but uh, I picked it right back up after I got my mind straight. And again, it was getting my mind straight. It wasn't about surrounding financial circumstances. It was about getting my head straight with regard to what was going on. Because when I entered into that, I was entering into fear. And I had to recognize that I was, I was uh, reacting to fear. Then I had to deal with the fear within myself because fear and faith cannot exist in the same body at the same time. So I had to deal with that. The next section says, The Righteous and the Wicked. It says, you have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do um, not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, but they even test God and escape. And so the people are saying, look, the arrogant, why should we serve God? Because the arrogant are fortunate. It says they even go against God and they escape and he does nothing. They commit wickedness and they prosper. In verse 16, it says, at that time, those who feared the Lord uh, spoke to one another. So there were the faithful at that time that heard this speaking going on. And so the faithful started talking amongst each other. And the word says, uh, the Lord took notice and listened. (laughs) So the Lord started listening on those conversations of the faithful. And he says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. And so he sanctioned uh, the authoring of a book of remembrance for these for his faithful people that were living amongst the wicked. And he said, they will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on the day I am preparing, I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on, on his son who serves him. In verse 18, it says, so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So the Lord is essentially saying, chill out, be patient. You will see what happens to those who don't trust me. And you will see what happens to those who do trust me. But it will happen in my timing. And that's what makes a lot of people 
impatient because they want it to happen in their time. And in the last chapter, it says the day of the Lord in chapter four. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will be stubble. And the Lord said, look, the day is coming where they're all going to be stubble. The, day, the coming day will consume them. The implication there is that they're going to be consumed with fire and turned to stubble. But for you who fear my name, the light of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing says the Lord God of armies. In other words, he's saying, chill out, just, just wait, because the day is coming where all those wicked people that may have abused you or whatever, they're going to get theirs, and you're going to dance on their ashes. What you got to say about that? <laughs> I'm just picturing that day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun, but I'm being impatient sometimes. I'm like, I know oh. that's right. <laughs> Then it says a final warning. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So he's saying, go back to the book of Moses, the books of Moses, and remember everything I gave Moses. None of that has changed, says the Lord. Remember, follow this stuff. It says in verse 5, look, I'm going to send you a prophet, the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Now this is out in the millennial reign. This is out in tribulatory times. And so we haven't gotten there yet. So this is a prophetic word for some time in the future. This is, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so this implies that in that day, there will be um, the natural state of relationships and families won't be good. This is implying that uh, things within the family are going to be horrible. But he's going to send the prophet Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the father. Then it says, otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. <laughs> so he said, this is going to happen, because if this doesn't happen, then that's going to happen. And with that, we have completed the entire Old Testament. And so um, the Old Testament ends off at about 400 B.C. or so. So we've got about 400 years before the birth of Christ. And so, uh, so it, this is called the period of silence or the silent period. I forget what they call it, where there's nothing written in that time frame between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew when Jesus is born. And so that is just a void, uh, a space that nobody really knows about as of right now. And so with that, with tomorrow, I'm going to do a summary of the Old Testament, and then we're going to start in the New Testament uh, on the day after tomorrow. But anyway, you have something to say something? Honey, <laughs> got something to say something? Got something to say, honey? <laughs> no, good job. Good job. <laughs> and as I have gotten into the habit of trying to do, remember in Romans chapter 10, Jesus is consistently and constantly making the invitation. You know, it says the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
No, not just confess anything, but confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart and sincerely believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. End of story. There's no other condition. That's what it says. And it goes on to expand on that. And it says, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord is uh, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not. See, what matters is what's in your heart. Since the same Lord is Lord over everybody. He says, for everyone who calls on his name, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No other qualifications, no other qualifiers. And so if you haven't done so, I invite you to do it right now. Just sincerely confess that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart. And the word says that you be, shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal damnation in hell. You'll be able to spend time with the Lord for eternity. And with that, we are done for the day. Say bye-bye, people. <laughs> Bye-bye, people. (laughs) Everybody, be blessed, stay safe, stay in the will of the Lord. With that, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.